Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, we're starting a brand new series today called Go to the Great City. We're going to spend the next four weeks walking through the book of Jonah. We're going to read the whole book of Jonah over the next four weeks together. And we're going to walk through each chapter week by week. I love the story of Jonah. God calls Jonah to the great city of Nineveh. And it's, it's, I believe God has called us to the great city of Edmonton as well. Can I just tell you that the city you are in becomes a great city when God calls you to it. People often spend so much time trying to get out of the city that they are in that they miss how good it really is. You don't have to think your city is the greatest city in the world, though, in order to make a great life in that city. What makes the city great? The city becomes great when God calls you to it. God loves cities. Do you know that? God loves cities. I believe they're God's idea. You see this throughout the Bible. God's future redeemed world and universe is depicted as a city. Abraham sought the city whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews chapter 11, where he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Revelations 21 describes the uh, apex of God's redemption as a city. What we're looking forward to is the city that is to come. Revelations 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. His redemption is building us a city. A city. So the city is God's invention and design, not just an invention of humankind. And Tim Keller really championed this whole idea, the late Tim Keller. I love that he always said this. Cities are not just, sorry, he always said this. God loves cities more than the countryside because God loves people more than trees. That trees are there for us. Trees are beautiful, but they're there to serve us. God loves cities more than the countryside because God loves people more than trees. And you know, it's great to get out in the countryside. It's sometimes you got to go away, get into the, you know, the wilderness and stuff to breathe. I get that. But God loves cities and God is in the city because God loves people and cities are full of people. We're going to read uh, Jonah chapter one as we begin the message today. I'm going to invite up Colette, one of our staff, who's going to read the scripture for us this morning. Jonah one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for the trouble we're in. What is your business? Where are you from? 
What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord then appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So God tells Jonah to go to the city and the story of Jonah serves as a reminder that God uses his people to change the culture of a city. God uses his people, the church, to shift, to change the culture of the city. You know, we are the hope for the city of Edmonton. I am encouraged about what's happening in our city because I pay attention to what's happening in other churches in our city. And God has some great churches in the city. And the church is the hope of the city. The mayor, the politicians, great. We'll use their help, but they're not the hope of the city, the church is. Jesus is the hope of the city. And I'm encouraged about what God has done and is gonna continue to do in our city. Now, we read that Jonah is told to go and preach against the city. And this can be translated a couple different ways. One way it can be translated is that Jonah was told to bring God's compassion to the city. He says, preach to it because it's trouble of concern for me. And God later tells, or we later find out that God's gonna destroy the city of Nineveh in 40 days. So God has compassion on the city where he says, send Jonah in to save as many people as possible. And in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, this is actually translated to preach in the city. It's not necessarily like this kind of hateful, uh, angry sort of vibe where he's like, I'm gonna go preach against the city but he's in the city and he's preaching in the city. God sent Jonah based on compassion, not judgment. So he didn't say, go judge the people of, of Nineveh. He said, go save the people of Nineveh. God is calling Jonah to preach to the city. Jonah's calling us to go and preach to the city. And Nineveh had some issues. Nineveh was known for just being an evil city. They were nasty. There was all kinds of stuff going on. They were a violent city. They would just kill people with no regard uh, for life. Like they would just, they were sort of carefree in a way of not like carefree like you are on vacation, but maybe more so carefree of how you are with your credit card on vacation. Uh, like he just kind of, they, they thought like they were, they thought they were invincible, thought nothing's going to mess with us. We just do our own thing. And the city was riddled with idolatry. They were just, and so what happens is, God's like, Jonah, go into the city and the city's gonna become a battleground. He's telling Jonah, go in there and you're gonna reach the city. You're gonna preach in the city for me. You're going into a battleground. And Jonah is the hope for Nineveh. 
because he's the one that sold the go into the city and preached to it. And the same thing with our city is that we're the hope for the city. The church is the hope for the city of Edmonton. And God has called us to go into this great city. Ephesians chapter two says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. Thank you, God, for your grace. Not by works so that no one can boast, but look at this. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want to preach to someone this morning that forgot you're God's handiwork. I don't know what you came in with holding on to. I don't know if you're feeling heavy or dark this morning, but you're God's handiwork. I don't know if you're wearing yesterday's underwear, but you're God's handiwork. Come on. I don't know if your breath is bad or you haven't showered, whatever, but you're still God's handiwork. That doesn't change how God looks at you. You might not be looking down at yourself today, but God is not. You're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Man, when God looks at you, he sees a, a beautiful creation created to do good works. The church is the hope of the city. God didn't give up on the city of Nineveh. God hasn't given up on the city of Edmonton. The church can't retreat, but we fight in this great battleground. We are created to do good works. And I think that sometimes why we feel unfulfilled or sometimes where, when we don't enjoy life is because sometimes we're not doing what we were created to do. God created us for good works and sometimes we're feeling unfulfilled because we don't want to do good works. And so we're not being used for what we were created to do. Reminds me of my little brother. My little brother, when we were growing up, he, um, well, he stole my hamster. Anybody, anybody have a hamster growing up? I'm not sure why we put, we'll, we'll, we'll put mouse traps all over our house and then we'll have a hamster in the house that we take care of. And it's like, what are we doing? But my, my little brother used my hamster not for good works, not for what the hamster was designed for. I had this beautiful little hamster. It was designed to be my friend, my companion. There, when I went to sleep at night, running on this little wheel, little white noise, and, and putting me to, to bed at night. But my little brother, Isaac, he, he, uh, he, he decided this hamster was created to play Hot Wheels with his other Hot Wheels. And so he took, and he took his Hot Wheels and the hamster and he had car crashes with the hamster and the Hot Wheels until he was no longer playing with my hamster and the Hot Wheels, but playing with the carcass of my hamster and the Hot Wheels. That, that hamster was created for good works to be my pet, but my brother thought it was created to be a Hot Wheels. Anyways, sometimes we're living our life like this. And God created us for one thing, and we're not, we're not satisfied, we're not fulfilled, because we're not doing what God created us to do. Come on, can I just tell you this morning, I don't know how you're feeling about yourself, what you came in here carrying, but you were born on purpose for a purpose. And God will not give up on his plan for you. God could have, he could have given up on Jonah. Like Jonah's running around being disobedient. God didn't give up on him. Jonah disobeys God, but God doesn't give up on him. What does God do instead? Let's throw a great wind at him. Let's mess with him. I'm not going to let him be comfortable out there. I got a plan for this, this young man's life. Then, the, then the, they're casting lots as well. You don't think that was God making the, the, the lot fall on, on Jonah? 
God could have used somebody else, but God didn't give up on Jonah and he won't give up on you. If God has called you to something, you can try to run from it, but he won't, he won't run from you. And Jonah's right in the middle of clear rebellion towards God, yet God doesn't give up on him. I wonder how often we uh, are rebelling against God, but we manifest it in a different way. We're not just like, we're not like a toddler. We're more mature than that, right? We're not, we're not a toddler where we say, no, God, I'm not going to do it, like Jonah over here. But we're more like, we, we're more subtle. We're more nuanced in it. We're like, oh, I'm just, I'm too busy for that. I'm too old. Maybe I'm too young. Maybe my theology is not good enough. Maybe, yeah, I just don't know. I just, I don't know much about the Bible. I don't have much to offer. Yet God is is saying to us, I will not give up on you and my plan for your life. I'm here to tell somebody this morning that maybe you've given up on you, but God hasn't given up on you. Man, you might've, you might've walked away. You might've forgotten the plan that God has given you or the word that was spoken over you or something that stirred in your heart in a service or something like that, but God hasn't forgotten about it. God hasn't forgotten about his plan for your life. Man, I remember walking through a season of darkness when I was, uh, um, I was about 18 years old, going through a season of darkness, and I would experience things during my days that I knew were not God's plan for my life. I could tell that, you know, certain people were manipulating me. I'd walked away from the church. I'd walked away from my parents, and I was kind of living this other life. And there were things that would happen that I would just feel, I would just feel dirty. I would just feel dark. And I remember going to sleep at night. I remember just my heart was just so messed up about it. Sometimes I'd even cry myself to sleep at night. But I would sit there crying about the darkness that I experienced that day, knowing God still had a plan for me. Knowing God was still gonna use me. There was something deep down inside that God was still speaking to me, the Holy Spirit that dwells within me, that even though I tried to push him down and there was darkness over top of him or whatever, he was still peeking through going, I'm still gonna use you. There's still a bright future for you. I'm not done, I'm not giving up on you. And the same thing for your life. God hasn't given up. God still wants to work. He's still got a plan for your life. But what happens is when we take back the control of our lives, it leads to chaos. So when we give our lives to Jesus, when we accept him, we're saying, God, I now live for you. So my life is a, is a song that worships you or I'm following your ways, not my own. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at how I was designed to live and I'm saying, God, have your way in me. Just like Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. But oftentimes we're like, oh no, not if your will is that, no. I'm taking that back. Jonah did this. Jonah decided that God was no longer in control of his life and it led him right into chaos. In verse three, Jonah got up and he fled to Tarshish. Why? Well, some scholars believe that Tarshish wasn't actually a place, but Tarshish actually meant the open sea. And so what some people believed back then is that uh, God only had authority in a place where he was worshiped. So God would only have authority in the land where he was worshiped. So if you don't like what God is doing, hop in the boat, go out to the sea where God's not worshiped, you'll, you'll get away from him. He won't have authority over you anymore. Jonah was possibly looking for a place where God had no authority. God, I don't like, I've been to Nineveh. It's scary. It's a mess. It's like New York. They have some weird accents and they're all aggressive. I don't want to go there. I wonder what our Tarshish is though. What's our open sea? 
What's the place where we don't want God to have authority in our lives? We read the CSB, but the NIV translates it this way. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Where are you running from the Lord? Where have we been running from God? Sometimes we'll, you know, we'll live life and be like, God, you're so good. You're so good. And then God will speak something and we'll be like, God, you're so good, but don't mess with my schedule. Don't be messing with my schedule, God. I'm busy. Have you seen my Google calendar? It's full. Don't mess with that, God. God, you're so good. You're so good. He'll speak something. Oh, God, don't you mess with my dating life. I finally found somebody that I like. Lord, don't mess with that. God, you're so good. You're so good, but don't you be messing with my finances. You don't understand the inflation we've been going through. They didn't have that inflation back in your day. You're messing with my finances, God. God, you're so good. But I have a well-written out plan. Don't be messing with it. I have a way that I want things to go. Don't, don't be messing with it. What's your Tarshish? What's your open sea? Jonah cared more about how he wanted his life to go than what God wanted to do in the city. Jonah took back control of his life and it led to a storm. John 10, 10 and 11 says this, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is Jesus talking. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And if God is asking you to give up something, it's often a sign that he wants you to give, to give you something better in return. He's promised you life to the full. And so when he asks us for something, it's like, you think that's good. I have something even better. You know, Abraham was comfortable in his home. God used him to be the leader of God's people. He had to leave that home, give that up. God wanted to do something better in his life. The disciples are like there. They got good, cushy jobs as fishermen. It's like, Jesus, we got a pension here, okay? We're working, all right? They do RRSP matching at the fishermen, whatever. Like, we're good over here, Jesus. Jesus like, I want to make you fishers of men. Trust me, it's going to be better. Calling them out. You know, my mom and dad, when they started this church, they had just finished their university degrees. And it was time to finally start making some money. And then they planted a church, which is the opposite of making money. But God called them to something better than some, you know, something that wasn't for them. Whenever God asks us to give us something, it's often because he wants to give us something better. Give God the control and watch him use it for good. So we have a good shepherd in Jesus. But there's a bad shepherd. In this verse, Jesus calls him the thief. And here's what the thief does. He wants to mess with the reputation of the good shepherd. He, he wants to make you feel like if you do what the good shepherd is asking you to do, you're going to miss out on something awesome. You're going to, oh, don't listen to that good shepherd. The bad shepherd makes you feel like you got to be in control. You got to control the narrative. You got to, you got to, oh no, you, don't, don't give up. Don't, why would you give that money to the church? They got enough money as it is. Take back control. It's not about what the church needs. It's about what you need. It's about what God's trying to do in your life. The bad shepherd brings death, whispers in your ear, you can't trust the good shepherd. I know this because this is exactly what he did with Eve. 
whispered in her ear. That God, God gives, he says, Adam and Eve, you have all this stuff. You have, man, I'm giving all, you all this, but I'm just going to give you this one boundary. Just don't eat this fruit or fruit, depending on how you read Genesis, right? It's literal figurative. It doesn't matter. He's saying like, just don't, just don't do this one thing. Just trust me on this. What's the, what's the bad shepherd do? No, that's not, that's not what God's trying to do. Trust me, just take back control. Take over, Eve. If God is asking you for something, I'm telling you, it's because he wants to bring you something better than what you're currently hanging on to. You know, the city, the city that we live in, the city is looking for a God it can trust. The city is searching for a God it can trust. It knows can't trust that hockey team. I tell you what. But what happens in Jonah? What happens in Jonah when the storm comes? Each cried out to his own God, trying to figure out who's going to help me in this storm. And our city does the exact same thing today. Looking for who's going to bring me hope. Who's going to lift me out of how I'm feeling right now. I don't know why. But for some reason, I've been paying attention to the opioid crisis. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it was God. But for some reason, I've been paying attention to what's going on with opioids in our city and in our province. Do you know 1,346 people died in 2022 from opo opioids in our province? Looking for something they can trust in a pill. Something that's going to make them feel, something that's going to make the pain go away. Something that's going to make them feel alive again because going to all the things the world has, they'll entertain you for a bit, but eventually they'll leave you feeling numb. They're looking for it in a pill. And it's leading to death. That's what the bad shepherd does. Our old associate pastor, or late, I should say our late associate pastor, Pastor Darwin, he was a great man of God. He used to say, uh, he, used to say he was a drug dealer. He would, he would say, oh, I'm, you know I'm a drug dealer? Yeah. I got the goss pill. Isn't that good? Isn't that so good? That's the pill we're looking for. The world might be looking for it in a different pill. But we have the goss pill. It's good. 1,346 people. That's about four deaths per day in our province. One every six hours. People are looking for hope. I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that today. I don't know how we're going to fix that. But I, don't, I do know that Jesus is the answer. Okay? I don't have the X, Y, Z of how to fix that certain situation. But I know that, yeah, that's good. He is the answer. But that's why I believe in the youth group so much. Sometimes people can get their nose out of joint about the youth group. The youth group wrecked the wall again. You know, the auditorium still smells like B.O. It smelled but like B.O. for 30-something years, okay? It's not going to change. But when God works in those young people's lives, come on, they're the hope of the future. That's why the church can continue to go on, can pass down from generation to generation. Love the youth group. So good. I would much rather those kids break our walls than go out there and mess with their life, mess with these pills, the wrong pill. They're getting the right pill in there. And yeah, they stink a little bit. And they always throw paper towel in the urinals. Stop throwing paper towel in the urinals. 
Get that out at school, okay? They have a lot more funding for their janitorial, okay. But, you know, and maybe it's, we just, people are looking for something. They're looking for hope. Maybe it's not so intense as the opioid crisis. Maybe it's that people are just looking, that the, like debt rise, debt rates are going up like crazy. And I know that there's inflation and stuff, but I think that people are often just looking to think that next purchase is going to be the thing that's giving me the feeling I'm looking for. That if I could just get my life, I could just drive this car, this house, get these clothes, oh, people are going to notice me. They're going to love me. They're going to pay attention to me. Looking for a God we can trust in the storms of our life. But we know it's still our God. The God of the city. The hope of the city. The same God who's yesterday, today, and forever. Who sent the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Just like Jonah, we have the hope for our city. And I think there's a bit of a, a misconception about the church. Because I think sometimes people are, are coming in here. I've even had this misconception. And we think that um, it's the pastor's job to preach to the city. We think if the pastor would just do a good enough job, the pastor's going to reach the city. And it's, it's, it's a little bit true. But here's what I'm realizing. On Sundays, I'm not just preaching to like the congregation and, and I, I just have to stand in the gap between the congregation and God and, and figure out what God is saying and give it to you. On Sundays, the preacher's job is to preach to the preachers. What an honor. It's like, I'm preaching for this hour right now. We're, we're coming together. And I'm preaching to you guys. And then we all go out, myself included, and we preach to the city. We all go out and we take what God is doing in our lives and our story and how he changed us and how he's the hope for us. And we go and preach it to the city. And so when we gather together, we're gathering as a, a gathering of preachers who are preparing to go and live our lives in the city and change the city. Bring God to the city. I'm preaching to the preacher that's preparing to go to work tomorrow morning with the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The, the Spirit that Jesus said, it's better if I go. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. You're going to take it to work tomorrow morning. You're going to take it to home tonight, wherever you're going. Come on. Come on, say I'm a preacher. That's good. You know, first service said that better than you guys. Come on, say I'm a preacher. That's good. Here's what happened. When Jesus died, the veil was torn. And so it's not back in the Old Testament, the priest would have to go, like Moses on behalf of the people would go into the presence of God. But now Jesus dies, veil is torn, we can all enter the presence of God. Don't stitch it back up and think it's just my job to do that. Go in there yourself. Yeah, that's good. All right, come on, we, we gotta move on. Say I'm a preacher. Hebrews chapter 13. We do not have an enduring city here. Look at the theme, city, coming up again. This city won't last forever. City of Edmonton won't last forever. Instead, we seek the one to come. There's an enduring city coming. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of the lips that confess his name. You're a preacher. 
And don't neglect to do what is good and share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. We don't live in a city that lasts forever, but there is one coming. And we today can impact who is in that city that's coming. Your life can preach about the God that is the God of this city and the endurance, enduring city to come. When you preach, you bring a sac- when you when you do this, you bring a sacrifice of praise. When you live this way, you bring a sacrifice of praise. You, you start to talk about what God is doing in your life. It's a sacrifice of praise. When you open the door of the gospel to those around you, it's a beautiful way to praise our great God. The city's looking for a God it can, can trust, and you have what they're looking for. Jonah had what Nineveh was looking for. In all its evil, all its mess, Jonah had the answer for them. He, he did it on the boat too. He had the answer to calm the storm, to bring peace to their chaotic world, to quiet the noise that was in their life. And what happened? The sailors called out to the Lord. What ends up happening is the sailors call on the man of God to pray to God. And the city, I believe, will call on the church in their time of need. Because we have the answer for what the city is looking for. I believe that there's a day coming when the city calls on the church to come and solve the problems. As Jesus said, it's not the mayor of Edmonton, not that there's anything wrong with that person, but it's not the mayor of Edmonton that's the hope of the world. It's the church. This is my plan. This is my beautiful bride. And that he would draw people near to himself through us. When we respond to the pain of the city, we shift the culture of the city. When we respond to the pain of the city, we shift the culture of the city. What happens, I mentioned the Oilers earlier, what happens in playoffs? What happens in playoffs is our whole city comes alive, right? Have you noticed that? Our city's like, yeah, we're in the playoffs. What, what, we, what we're thinking is, is that uh, finally the pain is going to go away. The pain of years and years of heartbreak is going away. And the city comes alive. It starts to shift the culture of the city. Oh, thank God. The pain is finally going away. And then the pain always comes back. But but you are surrounded by people every day who live their lives with no real hope. And when you start to respond to their pain in whatever way that God directs you, you start to shift the culture of the city. And the city starts to become, their hearts start to get softened towards the church and eventually towards God. You know, when you go to, when you go to work tomorrow, maybe you go out for dinner after or, or lunch or whatever today, you know, you can encourage what you see in people and it can start to shift the culture of what's happening around you. Here's somebody at work, you just love how You know, they always make coffee in the morning. You can just encourage them. Hey, I love how you just serve people. That's so nice that you serve our our office by making coffee in the morning. It's like, you'll see, it starts to shift the culture of your workplace. Maybe just make an eye contact. How many people just don't even make eye contact anymore? You look somebody in the eye and, you know, they're not just like a, a person that's like there to get you your coffee and get you on your way, but it's like you're a human being. I understand you're doing your job right now. You start to shift the culture of what's happening. Or even if you feel led to just say, can I pray for you? It's amazing how 
it can just shift someone's like attitude, heart. It softens them. Even if they don't believe in what you're praying for. Even if they don't even know who you're praying to. You just say, I, I just want to, hey, I'm a Christian. Would you mind if I prayed with you? Somebody shares something intense that's going on, something that's hurting their heart. It's like they might not understand everything about God, but they can, they, they, they can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm so excited about our trunk retreat this year. We've been talking about our trunk retreat. We just, we felt, the reason we keep talking about it is we just felt like God was doing something through it. And we didn't even notice. Started this little event, didn't know how it was going to go. And the city responded. We just felt like there's something here. And, you know, year after year, we just see to the point of like thousands show up. I can't remember, 3,000 or something last year showed up. And it was like, we don't know these people. And we just feel like this year we're going to go a little bit further, a step further than serving them with candy, meeting the need of the pain in their children for more candy. Um, <laughs> but we're going to end it with a prayer booth. And our amazing prayer team is going to be in there. There's a moment, how can we pray for you? I believe God's going to do something miraculous in that event. It's going to be beautiful. Shifting the culture of the city. You know, sometimes we get so familiar with how good God has blessed us, how, how, how much he's taken care of us, that we're asleep to the need and the pain around us. Exactly like Jonah. All these guys are in absolute chaos and Jonah's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. We get so familiar with the great freedom and the security that we live in. But Jesus saw, he noticed the pain of the world, and he responded to it with his life. I love that, that you look throughout the Gospels, and it's just Jesus responding to need consistently. You know, Jesus' first miracle is turning water into wine. And if you've ever been to a wedding without any wine, it's great pain. You know, it's terrible. No, uh, I didn't have any wine at my wedding, okay? Chill, all right. Um, but what, what's happening? There's a need. Jesus meets it. When people are hungry, what did he do? He miraculously feeds them. It's like, let's meet this need. Or how about the woman at the well? The woman at the well who's he knows is in relational pain, and he kind of just meets her where he's at. He's like, could you grab me a drink? She's like, what? You're not supposed to talk to me. You're a Jew. I'm Samaritan. And he ends up bringing up her five husbands. And the man she's with right now is not her husband. And he reveals himself as God to her. He's trying to meet her need there, meet her in her pain. That's what Jesus does. He does it for us. He wants to do it for our city. And Proverbs 11.25 says this. 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Can I tell you, if you make that your heart, as Jesus refreshes you, that you can go and refresh others. God will take care of you. He'll refresh you. As we are a source of refreshment to the city around us, God will refresh us. Just as Jonah is the hope of Nineveh, we're the hope of Edmonton. You know, God gives us little winks throughout the Old Testament, that he loves us, that he's sending Jesus for us. And Jonah's second chance points us to Jesus' death for us. Jonah was, in verse 17, Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. 
Three days and three nights is a special phrase used in the ancient world with the meaning long enough to definitely be dead. This phrase originally came from the ancient pagan notion that the soul's trip to the afterworld took three days and three nights. Jesus' use of the same phrase for the duration of his death before his resurrection carries a similar voice, sorry, force. It's a way of saying that he would really die for us. Three days and three nights points to God's grace for Jonah, that he should be dead, but he's given a second chance. And three days and three nights points to Jesus' death for us, that he most certainly could be dead, but he rose again. He paid the price for us so that we could have new life in him, not by anything we did, but by everything he did. 2 Corinthians 2, or sorry, 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died a death that we should have died so that we lived a life that he should have lived. Can I pray for you? God, thank you for the hope that we have because of Jesus. Thank you for the, the purpose that is on every person today. They were created for good works. They're your handiwork. You took time crafting them. You made them in your image. God, I pray we'd be reminded of that today. That not only are we your handiwork created just how you wanted us, but God, we were created to go and change the world around us. Created for good works. Created to serve and worship you with our lives. Thank you, Lord. Hey, if there's someone in the room today, I feel like there's some people in the room today that you feel, you still feel far from God. You feel like it's, it's time to start living for Him. It's time to come back to Him. You're hearing about Jesus dying for you and you need to, you believe that, you need to accept it and proclaim he's Lord of your life. You need to give up control. I want to pray with you today. It says in the Bible, all you got to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So I'm going to ask you to be bold this morning and confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you needed him to pay for your life so you could live in freedom. I'm going to ask everybody who calls himself a follower of Jesus, a believer, to repeat this prayer after me in agreement with those praying this important prayer. We're going to count to three. When I'm done counting to three, you're just going to repeat after me. Just say it out loudly, boldly. Make this important decision to turn your life over to Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus, thank you for living an amazing life and dying on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe that you are Lord and God raised you from the dead 
Holy Spirit, I welcome you to dwell within me. From now on, I live for Jesus. Thank you, God, for the new life I have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. God's so good. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.